a CBC journalist quits the state broadcaster in rage and spills the beans about just how far down the woke left rabbit hole the CBC has gone, as if we need another reason to defund the CBC. It's Fake News Friday. I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is our favorite show of the week here at The Candace Malcolm Show because it gives us the opportunity to reflect on all of the craziness and all of the nonsense that is put out in the Canadian media by the legacy media here in the country, and this story in particular. So this this came out on January 3rd, and we wanted to cover it right away. This is one of those stories that was so big, it was so hot, it was all over social media that we wanted to cover right away, but we, we had discipline and we decided to save it for Fake News Friday because it is the perfect example of the kinds of themes and the kinds of things that we talk about here on Fake News Friday at the Candace Malcolm Show. And I'm excited today because I have a special guest joining me on the program today to help sort of understand and break through some of the stories. And that is Harrison Faulkner. Harrison Faulkner is a producer and a journalist here at True North. He started out as an intern. He is a student over at Ryerson University in the journalism program, and he, he jumped on board with True North. So first, welcome to the show, Harrison. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Candice. Uh, Fake News Friday is my favorite segment, and I think we've got quite a few examples to get into with this one. Exactly. And well, for you, Harrison, I mean, you're, you're, you're young and you're sort of fresh out of journalism school, or I think you're still enrolled over there. You're almost done. But you, you, you sort of see the dynamic of the, I mean, Ryerson is, is sort of one of the most well-regarded uh, journalism schools in the country. It's right in downtown Toronto. So it's sort of like the woke epicenter of the country. And so, you know, you're coming out of that uh, environment. And I'm sure a lot of the things um, that we see, that the problems that we see at the CBC, you know, you, you've lived through it and, and you know exactly uh, what, what it's like inside. In, in, you know, you, not, not, not that Ryerson is a, is a media company, but, but the sort of your professors and the mindset and the attitudes of things that you learn, I'm sure, I'm sure is very similar. Yeah, well, one of the things that I'm not sure many, many readers of the CBC know or uh, readers of the legacy media know is that a lot of these writers and journalists actually teach classes or they spend some time actually working in these journalism schools. And so um, I kind of got a bit of a glimpse into where things were headed um, with the CBC and some of these legacy media outlets. And uh, it really only led me more and more uh, to outlets like True North because Really, I just I there, there was no prospect of me ever working in one of these newsrooms. It's far too biased, far too woke, um, and they, they've they've completely abandoned any journalistic principles that they once had. So, yeah, I mean, I I got I got a front row seat to um, really the the journalist factory, the CBC factory at some of these journalism schools, and I got to tell you, it's it's pretty freaky knowing what's coming down the pike. Uh, if it's bad now, it's going to get a lot worse in about five or set, five or ten years. Right. Well, speaking of a front row view, I, I feel like that's what Canadians got this week with this uh, Substack. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go through this a little bit because it's just so interesting and so much of this. So 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 what happened is uh, Tara Henley, a longtime journalist over at the CBC, she's a TV producer, radio producer, occasional on-air columnist. She describes herself as a journalist of 20 years, covering everything from hip hop to news to food to current affairs. And she 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 basically just had enough. She said, "Enough is enough. I don't want to work at." At the CBC anymore, and she kind of did this expose or this this open letter, just explaining all of the problems that had gone on on CBC. It very quickly went viral, and and really gives us an inside view of what 
is going on and what is wrong over the state broadcaster. So I'm just, I'm just going to go ahead and read a lot. I, I, I think it's so good, and I'm shamelessly just going to like read most of this article because I, I really find it eye-opening. So the article here is called Speaking Freely, Why I Resigned from the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation is over on Substack, which is a sort of opportunity for an, a journalist or a writer um, to, to kind of own their own platform, to have their own blog where people subscribe and they send out newsletters. So it kind of gives journalists the opportunity to kind of be entrepreneurial and, and do their own thing rather than working for a big um, sort of corporate le legacy media outlet. And it's become really popular for sort of dissenting thinkers, not necessarily conservative, but uh, people who just don't go along with the sort of woke um, mantra dogma um, that exists on the political left and in legacy media. So here we go. She writes, for months now, I've been getting complaints about the CBC, where I work as a TV and radio producer and occasional honor columnist for much of the past decade. People want to know why, for example, non-binary Filipinos concerned of lack of LGBT terms in Tagalog is an editorial priority for the CBC, while local issues of broad concern go unreported. Or why are pop culture radio shows coverage of the Dave Chappelle Netflix special failed to include any of the legions of fans or comics that did not find it offensive? Or why exactly taxpayers should be funding articles that scold Canadians for using words such as brainstorm and lame? Everyone asks the same thing. What is going on at the CBC? I, I, you know, I, I agree with all this. I think I remember each of those stories and, you know, the, the idea that something different is going on in the CBC is interesting because from my perspective, this has kind of always been the case. We've always been promoting a far left worldview. They've always been coming up with really obscure stories. And the, and the point of most of their journalism is to kind of scold Canadians and blame Canadians and tell Canadians that we're the problem and that we're racist. So the, 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 the idea that this is something that's new. Um, that's happened in the last couple of, of months or over the last two years. I, I kind of disagree. I think it's been happening for much longer. But, but my point aside, I'll, I'll keep reading here. She writes, when I started at the National Public Broadcaster in 2013, the network produced some of the best journalism in the country. By the time I resigned last month, it embodied some of the worst trends in the mainstream media. In a short period of time, the CBC went from being a trusted news source to churning out clickbait that reads like a parody of a student press. Again, I would probably refute the idea that it was ever a trusted source of news, or at least in, in my lifetime or the you know 15 years uh, since I've been a journalist, I, I don't think the CBC was ever trusted, but may maybe in the eyes of more sort of centrist, um, middle of the road Canadians, it used to be trusted, whereas clearly what she's talking about here is that they've abandoned the center and they've really gone to the fringe far left. I'll keep reading here. She says, those of us on the inside know just how swiftly and how dramatically the politics of the state broadcaster have shifted. It used to be that I was one of the furthest to the left in any newsroom, occasionally causing strain in a story meeting with my views on issues like the housing crisis. I'm now easily the most conservative, frequently sparking tension by questioning identity politics. This happened in the span of about 18 months. My own politics did not change. I like how she openly admits that she's leftist. Um, you know, journalists are supposed to be uh, non-biased, especially at the state broadcaster. I'm sure that they all sort of claim that they're neutral and that they're not on the political spectrum, uh, you know, at least she openly admits that she is a leftist and that she used to try to push the stories uh, to the left. Interesting that she says that she hasn't changed her views and she's now considered um, conservative. I know that this is a lot of the feelings of people who are sort of like old school liberals. They're, they, they, they believe in things like, um, you know, individual liberty and democracy. And these are the kind of, uh, these are the kind of things that the, the, the new left has sort of abandoned. And so leaving a lot of liberals feeling like they're conservative. I'll keep reading here. 
To work at the CBC in the current climate is to embrace cognitive dissidence and to abandon journalistic integrity. It is to sign on enthusiastically to the radical political agenda that originated on Ivy League campuses in the United States and spread through American social media platforms that monetize outrage and stoke societal divisions. It is to pretend that the woke worldview is near universal, even if it is far from popular with those you know and speak to and interview and read. To work at the CBC now is to accept the idea that race is the most significant thing about a person and that some races are more relevant to the public conversation than others. It is in my newsroom to fill out racial profile forms for every guest you book, unbelievable, and to actively book more people from some races and less of others. It's wild that this stuff is actually going on at the CBC. The CBC, by the way, has sort of denied that this stuff does take place, but I know a lot of outlets, including True North, are trying to get their hands on what those racial profile forms look like and what they actually say, because I, I have no doubt that they do that kind of thing over at the CBC. I'll continue. It says, to work at the CBC is to submit to job interviews that are not about qualifications or experience, but instead demand the parroting of orthodoxies, the demonstration of fealty to dogma. It is to become less adversarial to governments and corporations and more hostile to ordinary people with ideas that Twitter doesn't like. I, I, I like how she just openly says that they're not adversarial to government. You know, the whole idea is that they're holding the government to account. That is the role of a political journalist. And yet we know because Trudeau funds them. Trudeau pays their bills and they are subservient. They are um, they bow down to Justin Trudeau. They do not hold him accountable. They are not adversarial or hostile to them. Instead, like she says, they're hostile and adversarial to just regular old Canadians who might have views that are falling out of fashion. She goes on to say it is to endlessly document microaggressions, but pay little attention to evictions, to spotlight companies' political platitudes, but have little interest in wages or working conditions. It is to allow sweeping societal changes like lockdowns, vaccine mandates, and school closures to roll out with little debate, to see billionaires amass extraordinary wealth, and bureaucrats amass enormous power with little scrutiny, and to watch the most vulnerable among us die of drug overdoses with little comment. Now, this is interesting because this is the kind of stuff that True North covers, and we're like the only ones that are that are out there, you know, keeping track of how many people are dying in Canada from opioid overdoses. Uh, you know, we're we're the ones that are sort of raising these questions. The CBC should be, and it's it's interesting to see that at least one journalist in the CBC or formally uh, acknowledges that and sees that too. Almost done here. She writes. It is to consent the idea that a growing list of subjects are off the table, that dialogue itself can be harmful, that the big issues of our time are already settled. How many times have we heard over the last decade that the science is settled and that debate is over? We'll go on here. She writes, it is to capitulate to certainty, to shut down critical thinking, to stamp out curiosity, to keep one's mouth shut, to not ask questions, to not rock the boat. This while the world burns. How could good journalism possibly be done under such conditions? How could any of this possibly be healthy for society? All of this raises larger questions about the direction that North America is headed. Questions about this new moment we are living through and its impact on the body politic, on class divisions, on economic inequality, on education, on mental health, on literature and comedy, on science, on liberalism and democracy. These questions keep me up at night. I can no longer push them down. I will no longer hold back. This substack is an attempt to find some answers. And then she just goes on to lay out what she plans to do and what she plans to write and invites people to go ahead and share. So pretty powerful stuff there. I mean, I don't know if any of it 
in per se surprises me other than the fact that they fill out racial profiling forms and that they're told to book guests uh, from more from one race or another. But uh, Harrison, what, what is your reaction to this pretty scathing uh, letter about all the problems over at the CBC? Yeah, I mean, this is this is really like a bombshell uh, that I think a lot of people in especially in, in conservative media or right leaning media, um, like you said, Candace, we all kind of knew what was being said here. We we already knew a lot of this. It's not that surprising for us, but it really got a lot of traction around. I mean, Fox News picked it up. A lot of big um, American blogs picked it up. Um, and, and this really, I think a lot of Canadians were waiting to hear this and waiting to see something like this. And clearly it ruffled some feathers. And, you know, one one quote from that from that article that really got my attention was that was this line about how in a short period of time, the CBC went from being a trusted source of news to turning out clickbait that reads like a parody of the student press. Now, as we talked about at the beginning, I haven't, uh, you know, I, I'm still in journalism school and some of the some of the articles I read out of uh, out of our student newspapers, I mean, yeah, they're pretty bad, but they're actually a lot better than what you see on the front page of the CBC. And it kind of makes you scratch your head and think, how, first of all, where do they find these people to write these articles? Uh, and, and really kind of where, how, how has the CBC gotten to this to this low of a level? It's really It's really too bad, but you know, it's important to remember that all of us pay for the CBC. So anytime you see a really, a really awful story, you know that's your money that went to that. And I think that that's part of why this this article from this article from Tara Henley really, really, you know, made a lot of new, uh, made a lot of news. Um, but yeah, I want I want to bring up Andrew Lawton's tweet, our colleague Andrew Lawton, um, who kind of went went at Aaron O'Toole, who of course jumped on this the moment it was published. Aaron O'Toole, as many of you would know famously in the leadership election, said that he would cut English television by 50% and then privatize CBC English TV uh, within within his first mandate. Um, so he came out strong in the leadership election, but by, by the time it came around for the, the general election, Aaron O'Toole's stance on the CBC had totally softened. It basically had been brought down all the way into uh, basically a review of their mandate. So he went from being full-on in support of defunding to just wanting to review them, not rock the boat, make sure the CBC still gave them a positive, still gave him a positive headline here and there, uh, and clearly none of that has worked. Um, but O'Toole tweeted that he would like to sit down with Tara Henley and to talk about what, what can be done to fix the CBC. Uh, and Andrew responded on Twitter and said, during the leadership race, Aaron O'Toole pledged to unequivocally defund and privatize CBC. During the election, he pledged to review possible changes to its business model. Now he wants to fix it. So clearly... The, the line from O'Toole, the line from the uh, Conservative Party has softened on the CBC, uh, but I think that I think it's a miscalculation. I think most people now are ready to see some serious re- uh, uh, reform to CBC, ready to see some serious change. It clearly needs it. Um, but of course, not all the response to, Hen- uh, to Tara Henley's articles have been positive. There have been there has been some pushback. Um, one article that I think needs to be brought to the attention of, of our audience is this hit piece on Henley from Gawker. So Gawker was basically destroyed in 2016 by Peter Thiel. He bankrupted them and basically wiped them off the off the board. And Hulk Hogan, right? Wasn't it Hulk Hogan that they had like published some stuff about him and he teamed up with Peter Thiel was like a like a private uh, donor and and they just I mean this is a terrible website, right? It's just like low low quality uh, clickbait, uh, full on gossip, like the most salacious kind of things. And yeah, it disappeared. Now all of a sudden, it's back to defend, <laughs> to defend the CBC and the woke, the woke um, leftist takeover over there. And it's just like this terrible junkie site, and yet another 
you know, leftist squawking voice. I, I don't, I don't really understand the business model here, but yeah. And so like you, I kind of thought that Gawker had been, you know, fully erased. Like I thought, I thought Gawker didn't exist. And then we saw this article. So I did a bit of research. It turns out they, they came back in the summer of uh, this past summer in 2021, they were relaunched. Uh, and so I guess they were relaunched to write articles like this, which frankly is, is a total joke. So they basically go after Henley for say, for basically accusing her of, of trying to imitate uh, writers like Glenn Greenwald and Barry Weiss, who are um, kind of just, uh, you know, leaving their legacy media jobs and going searching for a cheap buck by calling out, you know, legacy media for being too woke and too liberal and just kind of jumping on this Substack grift. It's, it's, it's so ridiculous to call it a grift, though. I mean, it's like, okay, so someone like Barry Weiss was a columnist at the New York Times, the most prestigious American newspaper. And, you know, she, she, she's kind of like the, the description we were talking about earlier, a liberal. You know, she's by no means on the right in any way. She's not conservative. The only position that she might have that would be considered conservative is that she's pretty pro-Israel. But, but you know, every, everything else is like she, she, she gave up a very prestigious position at the New York Times as an editor to go completely independent. It's a huge risk. I, I don't know how much money she makes from from a Substack, but but asking people who enjoy your work and who read your stuff to 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 fund you as opposed to going through some big corporation. I mean, to me, that's honorable. It's like an entrepreneur doing their thing. And so and so to just like the way that Gawker does it, just dismiss it as a grift and say that, um, you know, they're just trying to make money. It's like, it's probably the opposite. My, my guess is that most of these names, and including uh, Tara here, she's probably making less money, quite a bit less money, um, doing her own thing and trying to solicit uh, individual donations versus working at, you know, a plush, fancy news outlet like the CBC or the New York Times that, you, you know, you get paid really well over there. Yeah. And, and, you know, Gawker is an alternative media site, and you'd think maybe they'd be interested in, well, maybe not propping up these old legacy media outlets like the CBC and New York Times. But, I mean, when you read this article, you see exactly where they're, where they're coming from, and you kind of understand, well, actually, it doesn't surprise, shouldn't surprise anyone that they're defending CBC. Um, so a couple of quotes I just have to bring up. So in, in Tara Henley's Substack article, she, she talked about two CBC headlines, which I think we've covered on this show before because they're just so ridiculous. And again, it's important to remind everyone listening that when you read these CBC headlines, just know that your money went to the funding of this of this journalism. So obviously she, she brings up this uh, non-binary Filipinos article about how basically it, it's a question. It's how non-binary Filipinos reconcile their identities with their language's lack of LGBT terms. So I think everyone can understand that that is a, a ridiculous headline, frankly, not something that you know should be written about in the CBC. Uh, but the way Gawker attacks Henley's um, you know, sort of interpretation of this article is, is just crazy. So they basically call this, they, they say this in, in describing this Filipino article. It is by all standards a normal and well-reported piece of journalism about language and colonialism. So, I mean, that is just, that is straight out of the CBC newsroom. That's basically the way any CBC uh, author would write about this article. And then the second article um, is about how, uh, you know, it's racist or it's, uh, it's, it's offensive to basically use modern basic words in, in the English language. So the CBC published a, published a story, which we covered, which goes through, you know, words like blackmail. So apparently using that is racist and, and it comes from a, a point of privilege, I guess. Um, and then the, the Gawker article um, basically said it was wrong to criticize this, this article um, 
because it doesn't scold anybody, but instead provides con- but instead provides context about the evolving meaning of certain words in public discourse. That's so stupid. I mean, it's it obviously the whole point of the article was to scold Canadians. I mean, it just really, really like scraping the bottom of the barrel there to defend Tara Hanley. And and they didn't go after the, the Gawker article. Didn't defend the CBC against all these accusations that they're not focusing on the important issues of her time. Uh, I, to me, the most powerful part of Tara Henley's uh, article and, and, and subset column there was she, she was talking about the big questions of our time and she was talking about how the way that the, the woke left even though they they, tend, they they pretend to be striving for uh, justice and peace and all these things it's like you know they're, they're, they're obsessed with race they're focused on these really niche issues that don't impact and don't really affect Canadians and meanwhile they're ignoring these hu- huge you know growth of government amassing a power among corporations and and governments uh, w- without question you know really huge societal changes ignoring them all ignoring the plight of the the the, the lowest uh, among us the the people who are struggling and addicted to drugs you know th- that stuff gets said so so just really kind of a, a, a pathetic little response by by Gawker there, but uh, you know Jonathan K over on Twitter has done a really good job. He, he's with Quillette. He, he's done a good job of uh, collecting the the sort of mainstream legacy media's response to uh, Tara Henley's piece because you you would kind of think that people would applaud her for her bravery of coming out, um, that they would recognize that some of the trends that she talked about, even if you don't agree with everything that she wrote, we would agree that some of the trends that she talked about w- were serious and deserved. Our attention. So instead, you see a Toronto Star columnist re- replying. So Jesse Brown over at Candleland said that he was going to have Tara on his show, and she just responded by saying, "I hope you're joking," as if like, "How dare you give this person a, a further platform?" Uh, we we had other people uh, straight out accusing her of being a racist and a bigot. So this is an individual who's a former correspondent for the Globe and Mail. He wrote. Reading the anti-CBC rant by Tara Henley a second time, I found it even more one-sided, superficial, and wrong-headed, feeding into people's anti-CBC prejudices. <laughs> I love the idea that, that, that if you don't like CBC, it's because you're prejudiced. It's like the CBC is now like a protected group or something like that. Um, there are more here. This is an individual who is a, a former journalist, he says, and an um, author for HarperCollins. And he wrote... It's very lucrative to write an anti-woke substack. Racism has all the money and it needs content creators. Again, just not true. There's no way that Tara Henley is going to make more money from a substack than she got paid from the CBC. Remember, they get $1.2 billion a year from the government. Um, I, I, I don't know how much Tara Henley is going to raise from her substack, but my guess is it won't be anywhere near a normal salary for a high-paid journalist over at the CBC. This is an executive and administrator over at the University of British Columbia, UBC. He just makes a point that she is making a conscious decision to, quote, monetize their own racism. So, uh, again, the, taking taking Tara Henley's substack and concluding that she's a racist and a bigot and the whole purpose of it is to monetize off her racism and bigotry and that there's a huge audience uh, for racists in Canada really just shows you how much the typical woke leftist hates Canadians. Like the, the, the whole problem with the CBC, you see it echoing out um, on, on, on Twitter here and John Kay did a really, really good job of that. Well, Harrison, I want to move on to another story here because this, this one... This one is like the definition of fake news. The CBC, uh, not surprising, another story from the CBC. The CBC basically just invented a news story here that had no bearing to reality and they were completely caught out. 
on it. So I'm talking about this poll that they did. They ran a story saying basically flat out that Canadians don't want to live in Alberta. Alberta bound, only half of Canadians say they'd feel comfortable making the move. <laughs> this is just so ridiculous. So basically the CBC commissioned a poll where they only asked Canadians if they would want to live in Alberta. They, they, they didn't ask them about other, other provinces. So the whole point of this article was to attack Alberta, to say that Canadians don't like Alberta and that most Canadians wouldn't feel comfortable. I'm going to read a little bit about it because it's just so, it's such a farce. So Alberta bound, only half of Canadians say they'd feel comfortable making the move. New poll suggests many wouldn't feel at home and worry climate change mitigation isn't a priority. Yeah, this is, okay, this is the start of this article. Cowboys, nodding oil pump jacks on the prairie landscape, conservative politics. You could fill a Ford F-150 pickup truck with stereotypes about Alberta, but a new national poll suggests Canadians' views of, of Alberta are a lot more complex than the cliches. And so then they talk about how they did this poll of 1,500 people, and they found that 53% don't think Albertans care enough about climate change. So they're, they're kind of making the point that Canadians don't want to live in Alberta. That, that, that's basically the whole point of this article, kind of saying Alberta is different. We don't like Alberta. Most Canadians wouldn't want to live there, wouldn't feel comfortable living here. I mean, not only is like the whole purpose of this article so transparently, clearly just a attack on Alberta for no reason, just to say like, look at them, they're different, we hate them. But it's not true. It's not true. The facts and the statistics in Canada are basically the complete opposite. They're the complete opposite. I mean, a simple search on Google. If you, if you literally just type in on Google, what Canadian province has the highest net migration? Meaning, what is the province that the most Canadians move to from other provinces? The answer is Alberta. Over the past five decades, Alberta has had the highest net increase from interprovincial migration from any province. This is a report from our friends over at the Fraser Institute. And just look at this graph. Okay, the first graph right here looks at net migration in Canada over the last 40 years from 1970. So, so over the last 45 years. And as you can see, the province where most people have left is Quebec. Of, 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 the, of the 45 years that they, that they kept track, out of 43 of them, Quebec has had more people leave the province each year than come. You can see all the way down, Alberta is the lowest. The least number of people leave Alberta each year. On that, they've had fewer years where more people have, have, have left the province than come. Next graph right here is even more clear. This is the net cumulative interprovincial migration. As you can see, almost half a million Canadians have left the province of Quebec over the last five, four and a half, five decades and gone to other provinces. You can see very clearly here that Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Newfoundland, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, and yes, even Ontario have all had net loss of, of residents. People from those provinces have left the two main beneficiary provinces, the two places in this country where the most people want to live, British Columbia and Alberta, more people want to live in Alberta. More people have moved to Alberta. There have been over a million people moved to those two provinces. More than half, 600,000, have been going to Alberta. So the CBC cooks up this completely fake idea that people don't want to live in Alberta. Meanwhile, the data, the statistics, the facts back up the exact opposite, that in reality, the choices that people actually make in this country are to move to Alberta, to vote with their feet, to go to the place where there is opportunity, where there is freedom, where is, you know, Alberta's a great place to live. I lived there for four years during university, and I lived in Calgary a little bit later on for a while. It's a great 
wonderful, beautiful place to live, and that's what the facts show. But there's CBC over there making the exact opposite point. Rightly so, they were called out. Jason Kenney, the Premier of Alberta, called it a drive-by smear. He said that he accused CBC correctly of treating the province as a convenient sort of punching bag. He wondered where the research was on Canadians' attitudes towards Quebec and Ontario. Well, feeling shameful and being called out, the CBC did what they should have done the first time. They went back and they redid the survey. They asked all Canadians where they would live and what did they find? Well, pretty much exactly what the facts show, which is that Canadians say that the place that they would most like to live is British Columbia, as well as Atlantic Canada, probably because the weather is more temperate and um, housing prices maybe in Eastern Canada would be part of the draw. Interestingly, that people say that they would want to live in Atlantic Canada, where, again, the facts show the opposite, that people leave Atlantic Canada every year because there's just not a lot of jobs and not a lot of economic opportunity. Um, but, the, but the third place, third place province, tied with Ontario right there, is Alberta. More Canadians say that they would feel comfortable living in Alberta. Interestingly, Quebec was at the very, very bottom of that list. So ha almost half of Canadians say that they would want to live in Alberta, whereas only 24% of Canadians say they'd feel comfortable living in Quebec, probably largely because of the language issue, but still the exact opposite of what the CBC said. So this is, this is a perfect example of fake news, of CBC sitting around saying, let's cook up a news story to demonize Alberta, to, 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 to make them feel awful, to, to show how out of step they are on this one issue of climate change. Um, meanwhile, forgetting all of the other facts about the situation, all of the nuance, all of the real world statistics that show literally the opposite. Again, this is why, this is why the CBC can't be trusted. What, what, what do you think of this one, Harrison? Yeah, well, there's so much wrong with this this article, Candace. I mean, I don't always agree with Jason Kenney, but his characterization of this article is is spot on. It's a, it's a smear job. You can just picture the activists in Toronto sitting around in the newsroom, kind of thinking about how they can how they can tweak the data, uh, leave important facts out about Alberta, about the migration, interprovincial migration of Canadians, and just find every way possible to politicize their news. Because of course this was this was characterized as a news piece. Uh, to, to find ways to politicize the news and, and just tarnish uh, tarnish a whole swath of Canadians, um, many of whom don't fit the the uh, the stereotypes that the CBC put in at the beginning of that article. And you know this is this is a classic problem. I think part of this is is the bias of omission. Leaving data out can j be just as bad as as cooking up fake information. Sometimes the the idea that that the CBC would just completely. I mean, they must have done the, the research themselves. They must have known that actually the facts tell a different story than this poll they commissioned. Well, I, I thought it was interesting, Harrison, that the author of the piece, I went to look up who, who wrote it, because you kind of assume it might, might be some junior guy writing in Toronto or something, someone who's never set foot in Alberta. Contraire, uh, this was written by a 20-year professional reporter producer over at the CBC who <laughs> is also, uh, of course, teaching journalism at Mount Royal University. So he's in Albertan. He lives in Calgary. He, he, he's been at the CBC for 20 years. And of course, he's, he's a journalism prof as well. Uh, what, what, what shoddy journalism. And, and I feel sorry for these students who are paying good money to get a journalism degree over at Mount Royal University being taught uh, by this kind of individual here. Yeah, I mean, seriously, it's just it's just ridiculous. Um, and, and frankly, this is this is something that always needs to be reminded. And I mean, Albertans pay 
for their province to be tarnished and to be written about like this uh, in the CBC. And I just think, you know, if you ever needed more of an example of, of the CBC's bias, their, their ability to spin things just perfectly to fit their ideology, uh, this, is, this, is, this is it. This must be the one that, that basically shows to every Canadian, um, you know, the data does not does not basically match what they're trying to say. And, you know, of course, the CBC would never try and offend the sensibilities of the front of, of the Quebecers in, in Canada. Um, you know, they would never try and uh, paint paint Ontario to be, you know, some desirable place on equal level as Alberta. Of course, their whole view of the West of the West in this country is a negative one. Uh, and they'll, they'll try and do everything they can in their news to tarnish Albertans, uh, and I, I, I mean, I think that's partially why no one even no one listens to the CBC. They're so irrelevant. Uh, they're grasping for anything they can. Um, it really, it, it's it's a shame to see it because at the end of the day, it, it is it is causing it, it's it's a it's a negative to Canada. It's not doing us anything positive to have a public broadcaster write these articles about the country, and it just makes you wonder what their real goal is. Why would they do this? Their whole their whole job should be to promote Canada, to make it a better place, not to try and divide it. Uh, regionally, and and it, I thought it was funny because when you read the opening of that story, like oh these you know these these conservatives driving F one uh, Ford pickup trucks, it's like if if you if you drive like an hour outside of any city in Canada, that's what it's like. It, it, it's not like you know Alberta is completely different um, than rural parts of British Columbia, Ontario, Newfoundland. Like any any rural part of the country has similar characteristics and a similar culture, and and this idea that Alberta is just a stark different place it's 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 untrue for any canadian who has spent time in 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 alberta or in any sort of place outside of urban center it, it, to me it just shows again how out of touch when, when i read it i really did think it was written by some downtown toronto woke intern and not a 20-year veteran um living in calgary well harrison thank you so much for joining the program it's been fun to have you on and thank you to the audience for listening look it's clear that the cbc pushes a divisive race-obsessed, woke worldview. It invents fake news meant to divide the country and pit Canadians against each other, all the while milking us, taking our money and wasting it away. It's time to defund the CBC. It's Fake News Friday. I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show.